Church, how we doing tonight? Thank you, thank you, Thomas. <laughs> um, have a couple of announcements for you guys. Um, we have Young at Heart, the second Thursday of every month. Uh, this Thursday is going to be at one p.m. Uh, in the Church Commons for the seniors fifty-five and older. Woo! And then we have Omega Men's Breakfast. Let's go, man! My gosh, that was weak. That was weak. I bet if I would have said something about the women, the women would go crazy. Look at that. Jeez. All right, men's breakfast uh, is going to be starting up again this year. Um, He's going to come and be a part of an amazing group of guys fellowshipping over biscuits and gravy. Mm. Oh, and bacon. I didn't know that. It wasn't in the notes. Don't kill me. Don't kill me. All right. If you don't like the word, you're going to like the biscuits and gravy. And then when you love the biscuits and gravy, you're going to like the word because the word's just going to fill you up. God's going to fill you up. And uh, Pastor Greg will be bringing this short message to get us fired up into the new year. Woo! Jeez. January 20th, 9 a.m. at Lake Camp. Lake Camp. Not here. It's at Lake Camp. Last time I came here and I was late and I got crap from Thomas. So I'm just trying to save you guys. Um, if you need directions, just contact uh, Patrick Drake. He's not here, so I would point to you, point to him, but he's not here. Uh, Times of Manifestation, February 11th through the 14th, uh, 7 p.m., Sunday through Wednesday night, believers meeting with the emphasis of gifts of the Spirit. Woo! And then we have this closure conference, addressing biblical answers to current events, phenomenon that characterizes the um, times of the end, prehistory, global headlines, UFO phenomena, and other high strangeness that the Bible predicted are being served by Pastor Bob Yandy, Janian, yep, Pastor Greg V. Heard, and Pastor Kevin Varnell. Mm. Man, that's going to be straight out fire, I can tell you that. Get registered today, and it only costs $50 a person. I'm telling you, it's going to be worth it. It's, you're not just giving, to, giving $50 into the church or the pastors, but you're giving into something that God's going God's gonna to have something for you in that conference. And even if you think, I mean, the devil's going to tell you there's not going to be anything there, I promise you, there's something in every conference that we do, that the Lake Church does. Whew. All right, let's get into offering. Jeez. We might have to stand up and dance, you know? 
do some jumping jacks. No, 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 I can't do that right now. I can't do that. Uh, all right, Reminder Vision 2025 is uh, a program to raise money to pay off all, all, all of our buildings and debt free for, by 2025. Woo! I know God can do the impossible, you know? People say that this might seem impossible, but it's possible to God, you know? And you can give by online at lakechurch-church.com or the envelopes on the seat behind you or text to give. And uh, if not, the church center app, the easiest way. If you don't know how, you can ask me or anybody else. It's pretty easy. Um, and then the buckets are right behind over there in that corner. Miss Amber can help you out. Everybody see Miss Amber? Everybody wave to Miss Amber. There, yep, yep, yep. All right. All right, I'll pray over the offering, and uh, we'll get to the message. Lord, thank you for such a great night, day and night. Um, I pray over the word, Father, that the word that you've given Pastor Kevin, it just fills us up, just plants a scene in our, in our hearts, Father, and the fellowship, Father. And I just thank you. I just thank you for being so gracious and kindness, your love that you've shown me, Lord. And I just pray that. We just come out in a different way. When we walk out those doors, we are fired up with your word. In your name I pray. Amen. Let's give it up for Pastor Kevin. All right. Well, good evening. Good to see everybody out tonight. Going to continue our verse-by-verse study in the book of Galatians. I hope you've been enjoying it. I know it's been rich to me, honestly, when you teach it. I feel like you get more out of it than people who are listening to you because you're meditating all week long. And I want to encourage you that if you haven't done that on your own yet, to study these things. Don't just come and hear, but take what we present. Go and study it verse by verse for yourself. The thing that verse by verse Bible study does is it forces you to confront scriptures uh, that you may not understand. You know, really, public preaching uh, and teaching verse by verse causes you to wrestle publicly with the Scriptures. So that's what we're doing. You know, we're getting up here in front of you. We're wrestling with the Scriptures uh, publicly. And we're doing that so that you can have something to take home and put to study yourself. Because it's not what we say about the Word, but what the Holy Spirit says about the Word that's going to actually develop and do something powerful in your life. We're presenting the concepts But it's up to you to take them home, meditate on them, and give the Holy Spirit the opportunity to take hold together with you and begin to unveil those things and reveal those things to your heart on a personal level. It's not, you know, we're not looking for you to come here and walk out going, oh, that was a great message. No, that's not the, it's not the end, it's the beginning of something. You take the word, you take it, you go home, you, you study it for yourself, you meditate on it. You allow the Holy Spirit to make it reality to you. So we're going to continue tonight in Galatians chapter 5, uh, where we left off last week. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> the whole theme of this book is, the, is legalism. It's... Uh, It's people trying to attain to righteousness by works or maintain righteousness by works. We don't attain to or maintain our righteousness 
by our performance, but by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's from beginning to end by faith. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. He said, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. For the scriptures say that the just shall live by faith, not by works. Those two are antithetical to one another, and they don't work together. So I hope that you've been getting a hold of those concepts in fact, I'm surprised, really, that we don't hear more preaching against legalism uh, because the thread of legalism runs through the entire Bible. In fact, most of Jesus' ministry was opposing legalism. And Paul's letters were constantly dealing with, in every letter, just about he is opposing legalism. It is the go-to or default mode of operation for people because this whole world system is built on it. The whole world system is built on you get what you deserve and you don't get what you don't deserve. But you know that the Bible reveals that in, by faith in Christ, we encounter the mercy and the grace of God. And mercy is, get, is not getting what you deserve. Thank God for mercy. We don't get what we deserve. Why? Jesus got what we deserved at the cross. And then grace is that we get what we don't deserve. Amen? So see, those are concepts. See, people are sitting there going, oh, yeah. Those concepts are so foreign to what we swim in constantly in the world that it actually takes a revelation from the Holy Spirit to understand mercy and grace. It's not something that we easily grab a hold of. And so in this book, you know, for five chapters, he's been hammering on the fact that we are not justified uh, by works of the law, but by the hearing of faith. It's the hearing of faith. Faith happens when you hear the Word of God. Not hear it. If you notice, I put my hand in my heart. Because you have physical ears, you have spiritual ears. It's the hearing of faith that produces and causes us to be able to appropriate what Jesus has provided for us. So we don't attain to or maintain our righteousness by our performance, but by trusting in the promises of God, which are all yes in Christ Jesus. Every promise is already yes in Christ. How many people are trying to perform in order to get a yes from God? Oh, man, come on. Listen, if your justification has to be maintained by you, then you didn't receive justification, you received probation. I'm going to say that again. If you have to maintain your righteousness by your works, then you, weren't, you weren't, uh, didn't receive justification, you received probation. Probation is when you're granted status, but then you have to maintain it over a period of time. That's probation. And at the end, you're declared innocent. But justification is you're declared innocent in the sight of God at the beginning. And the, revel the revelation of that changes the way that you live your life. 
You see life from a different perspective. Not trying to get somewhere, but living from where you have been placed in Christ Jesus. That's what justification is. In fact, when we understand the gospel correctly, we're already seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. How many people are working trying to get to heaven? When the Bible reveals when Christ was raised, we were raised with Him and seated with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are to live an ascended life. That means we live from the perspective of the finished and perfect work of Jesus. Not trying to finish what we perceive He hasn't made complete. Okay, so we are living from that revelation. And we ended in verse uh, 9 last week. But I want to look at it once again. Just to kind of get going. Galatians 5, 9 says, A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And what he's talking about here is he's making uh, leaven a metaphor for legalism. Now, if you know anything about leaven or yeast, when you place a little bit, which this is what this says, a little in dough, it permeates the entire dough and transforms it. Uh, There's a lot that you could say about that. But the point is, is that even a little bit will affect the whole thing. What he's saying here is if you allow even a little bit of legalistic thinking into your belief system, it won't be long. It'll permeate the entire thing. Which goes back to uh, chapter 4 and his analogy about Hagar and Ishmael. And what did the Bible say that we're to do with them? Expel the slave mother and her son. It didn't say... It doesn't say, Abraham, build them a tent in the corner of Canaan. Keep them in the house. No, no, it said expel the slave mother and her son. So it shows you can't just keep a little law around. See, the problem is is people don't trust the grace of God enough. We're so indoctrinated with works and performance that we don't believe that we can live right without some sort of threat or punishment hanging over our head through law. And that is what keeps us bound and keeps us from living the Spirit-filled life. Is that we are trying, our trust is in our performance rather than in the perfect performance of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying, that even a little bit will permeate the entire thing. Now, you can think about that in your own personal life, but even in the church. When you let a little in, it'll go through a whole congregation. See, it's never enough. When it comes to the law, it's never enough because we've studied already that to to keep the law, it's not to keep a part of the law. It's to keep it all. And any time you begin to trust in your performance, you have then obligated yourself to do everything written in the book of the law. If you're going to be made right by your performance, you have to do all of it all of the time. Or you can just trust in the fact that Jesus did it all. Come on, somebody. (laughs) 
So you have a choice. You can trust in yourself or you can trust in Jesus. You can try to be your own Savior or He can be your Savior for you. Look at this in Romans chapter 4. He says, For the promise that he would be heir, this is talking about Abraham, of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. But, but through the righteousness of faith. For if, the, if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only those who are of the law, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. The point I wanted to make when re in reading this is that grace and faith are antithetical to law and works. They're opposed to one another. They don't work together. What people try to do is they try to balance grace with law. And law doesn't balance grace, it opposes grace. See, the reason that grace and faith work together is the word for grace in the Greek is the word charis, and it means literally gift. So everything we receive from God, we, we can only receive it as a gift. And faith is the only non-meritorious principle we can use to receive something from God by grace. You cannot merit grace. The moment you try to merit it, it is no longer a gift. But we looked earlier in Romans chapter 4 in previous messages, and it says that if it's, if it's uh, of works, it's counted not as grace, but as a debt. And I told you before that when we try to work for the things of God, what we are doing is we're trying to put God in debt to us. I'm going to say that again. When we try to work to earn from God, we are trying to put God in debt to us. And see, people do it all the time. If I just do enough, then God will have to move on my behalf. Or if I do enough, God will be moved to say yes in this situation. And here's the thing we have to understand is that grace is everything God provided to us through the finished work of Jesus. He preemptively said yes in Christ to every promise. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says that he, uh, Christ is the yes to every promise. All of the promises of God are yes in Him. Healing, deliverance, Salvation, justification, righteousness, anything that you can think of uh, that is a promise of God in the Word. He doesn't, listen, God doesn't go on a case-by-case -case basis deciding whether to move in your life or not. We've got to, man, we've got to get this. God does not take up your case individually. You come to God needing something, He gets out your life and looks it over to see if you qualify or not. 
He doesn't go on a case-by-case basis. He moved on behalf of every man through Jesus Christ and His finished work. Our faith is a response to what God has already done by grace. And the gospel is the proclamation of the grace of God and everything that He did for us in Christ. Faith is when we hear what He's done, then we're able to partake of and appropriate that by not earning it, but realizing it already belongs to us. Faith is the only thing we can do that is not of merit. When I think about that, I always think, because people will, will automatically... I'm trying to help you, so I'm thinking about how my mind works. People will go to James. Well, faith without works is dead. Listen, faith is not a work. Okay? You got to get that first of all. Faith is not a work. What James says is faith without works is dead. And what he's talking about in that situation is he's not talking about your work of faith moves God. Your work of faith affects people. That's what James is talking about. He says, if you see a brother hungry and you don't give him any food, can your faith save him? That's what he's talking about. See, God can see your faith without your works, but men can only see your faith by your works. But we get that mixed up and we, and we get that messed up in our mind and we think, oh, God's waiting to see a work. God knows your faith without any works. You know, I showed you in Acts where Peter was preaching to Cornelius' house. And the Bible says that as he was preaching, he said that the prophets bear witness that through this man is the forgiveness of sins and that God bore witness to their faith, giving them the Holy Spirit. See, God saw faith in their heart before they ever did anything. God doesn't have to see your work to see your faith. Men do. Faith is what happens to you when you move into trusting in what God has declared to be true. Does that make sense? Grace is what God did for us through Jesus, independent of us. Faith is what happens to us when we understand that. Faith is what gives us the ability to step into something because we believe God has already moved in this situation. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. The thing we have to understand about faith is its vision into the unseen. See, your faith can't make something happen that doesn't already exist. See, people try to use faith to make something. Faith can only appropriate what already exists in the unseen realm. Your faith can't make anything be. Your faith simply partakes of what already is, but is not yet manifested. So what we have to do is we have to work on our believing. And religion makes us focus on our behaving. And when all of our focus is on behaving, we're blinded to believing. 
Our focus is wrong. Listen, if you get your believing right, your behaving will line up with your belief. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And the moment that we begin to try and earn, we have just taken ourselves out of the realm of faith. We're not appropriating the grace of God anymore, but we're beginning to try and by our own performance cause God to move in our lives. So let me go back to Galatians chapter 5. He says, I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that, who, that you will have no other mind. And so what he's saying is, even though this has happened, he said, I believe that by what I've talked to you about, what I've taught you in this letter, what I've said to you, that you're going to change your mind. You're going to repent. You're going to get the right outlook. And you're going to forsake this legalistic ideology and get back to relating to God by grace and through faith, which is the only formula for receiving from God. And he says, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment. If you remember uh, in uh, the earlier chapter verse 1, or chapter 1, verses 6. Let's read this. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. That even if we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. See, what he's saying is if these people who are troubling you by perverting the gospel, getting you out of grace and faith and into the law of works, he said they're going to be judged. Mm. That's heavy stuff. Because he even goes on, it's like, it's like he, he thinks, I don't know if they're going to actually believe what I just said. Let me repeat this. As we said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Paul is actually calling for a divine curse upon anyone who perverts the gospel by adding law to grace. Any mixture. And the reason why, he says in verse 7, is that it troubles the believer. Now look at this scripture, this same word, for troubles, we also find in Acts chapter 15. Now, I thought I had that on here, but I don't know if I do or not. I'll, I'll turn to it in the Bible. Oh, here it is. Acts chapter 15. If you remember, this was the, the council at Jerusalem. Remember, Paul was running into these legalistic believers on the mission field. They were disputing over whether the Gentiles needed to be circumcised and come under the law or not. And it became such a big deal that they went to Peter and James and John and presented their, uh, their facts and they disputed and debated over it. And look at what Peter says. Since we have heard that some who went out from us, what they decided to do is write a letter to the Gentiles and set this straight. So this is part of the letter. He says, since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no commandment. This word trouble means to cause inward commotion. It means to take away calmness of mind 
and to make you restless by bringing doubt. I don't know if you've been exposed to legalism very much, but when you've had your faith totally in the grace of God and then someone comes in and goes, now, but yeah, you have to do this in order to stay in right standing with God and you've got to do this and you've got to do that, it can bring an unsettling to your heart. It can trouble you inwardly because now you're trying to qualify yourself for things and you never know for sure that you've done enough. In fact, your own heart will condemn you and say you have not done enough. And it brings trouble to you. Because listen, if you're needing to receive a miracle from God, you're needing something from God, you're trying to believe God and you're wavering because of condemnation, you're not going to receive anything from God because you're double-minded. James says that a double-minded man should know he's not going to receive anything from the Lord. See, we think doubt, uh, we just think it's, I'm having a hard time believing. But actually, Jesus, in uh, Mark 11, where uh, he gives, talks about faith, it says that if we believe and doubt not in our heart, we shall have what we say. You know the word doubt there is the word for condemnation. Doubt comes from condemnation. It's not just me not being able to believe or wrestling in my mind about something, whether it would happen or not. It, the reason we struggle to believe it is because of condemnation. Listen, if you're, a, if you're a believer and you've been in this house very long, I know you believe in miracles, signs, and wonders. I know you believe in the supernatural. So listen, our problem isn't believing God can do it. You know, Jorge said earlier, God, nothing's impossible with God. We know that. We would all say, I believe God can do anything. There's no limit. He's able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ask or even imagine. We believe in God's ability. But where we begin to waver is in His willingness to do it for us. Because we don't know if we've qualified yet. That's where the struggle comes in. And the reason why is because there's a little leaven still in the dough. And we're putting ourselves in the equation. We're adding our performance into the equation rather than assessing our qualification based on the performance of Jesus. Look at this. I don't have this in my notes, but let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read verse 8. For by grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. By grace, through faith, you have been saved. 
The word saved is the word sozo. It's an all-encompassing word. It doesn't mean a ticket to heaven. It means that plus a lot more. It means to save, to heal, to deliver, to, this is the part that gets it for me, make whole. So the way that we are made whole in life, whether it be to be reconciled to God, which means to be saved and be reunited to Him, which means you'll end up in heaven someday, to heal, to deliver, to be made whole. To me, that means to be delivered from addictions, disorders, any kind of malady that's in your life that was not meant to be a part of your life in the original creation. The way we're delivered from all of that is by grace through faith. By grace, God provided it. By faith, we appropriate it. That's the only way. And he says, this is not of yourselves. Man, I want to say that about a thousand times. This is not of yourselves. He says, it is the gift of God. So which one, grace or faith? Both. Both are. In fact, grace, when I study this, I think it's referring, when he says it's the gift of God, I think he's referring to faith, not grace, because the word grace means gift. So why would he say, why would he say grace is the gift? Because that's what the word means. But faith is a gift. So he provides it and he gives you the ability to receive it. Come on now. Faith is a gift. You don't produce faith. Faith happens to you. I'm reminded of at Lystra in Acts chapter 14 when the Apostle Paul was preaching. It says that he was preaching the word of God's grace. Go back and study it for yourself. It says he was preaching the word of his grace. And he perceived that a man who had been lame from birth had faith to be healed. Let me ask you something. Where did he get the faith? Hearing what? The word of His grace. Somebody got it. Somebody got it. I heard him. He said, it says he was preaching the word of His grace. You can preach a lot of things. But he was preaching the word of His grace. And while he was preaching, what do you think he was saying? He was saying, Jesus came, He suffered on the cross, He took our sin, He took our sickness, He took our shame, He took our guilt, He took it all on Himself, He was buried, and on the third day He rose again, victorious over sin, victorious over death. Now you can receive forgiveness of sins and be freed from everything. He was preaching the grace of God, and He perceived a man who had faith to be healed. And you know what He said? Stand up on your feet. The man never walked one time in his life, and he got up and he began walking and leaping and praising God. Why? Because he received the word of his grace and by faith he appropriated what Jesus already provided by grace. That man didn't qualify himself for it. He believed Jesus already qualified him for it. Hmm. But we put ourselves in the equation. By grace and my works through let me say it like by grace through faith and works we put James in there why because after all faith that works is dead 
the work, the only work was that he got, he acted on what he believed. He acted on what he believed it. By the stripes of Jesus, you're healed. Well, what do healed people do? They don't lay there lame. They get up and walk. <laughs> so when we begin to, uh, to have this performance or earning mindset presented to us, it begins to trouble us and it unsettles our soul. It causes us to be condemned and try to figure out whether we qualify for what God has provided for, for us by grace. And I'll just go ahead and tell you, you don't qualify. By any merit of your own, you don't qualify. But the good news is, is that you're qualified in Christ. Amen? So the word uh, unsettled, I thought this was interesting when it says that it unsettles your soul. If you look at that word, it means to uh, rearrange, like to rearrange furniture. So what it's talking about is when you're presented a legalistic uh, concept, it rearranges your theology. It rearranges the way that you relate to God from receiving freely by His grace to trying to perform to earn it now. Rather than having on a yoke of learning where you're just hearing about and learning about what Jesus already did for you, you've taken off the yoke of learning and put on the yoke of earning. Now we're simply trying to See, how can you ever be in faith if you don't know if you've arrived at, your, at qualifying for it yet? How, how can you ever know when you get there? See, faith has to believe that it's already done. It's just unseen. It's just unseen. You know, the Bible says, by His stripes you were... Got some Bible students in here. Were, not are, were. And if you were, you are. Right? That's what it says in uh, 1 Peter 2.24. By his stripes you were. What's that mean? It means it's already, it already exists. That means it's already real. It's already true. You're already healed. You say, well, according to uh, what we see in the natural, I'm not. Well, you just need to change what you're looking at. Because it's in the unseen. Come on, somebody. Doesn't mean it's not real. It's just unseen. It's not manifested yet. So you're judging what is truth based on the physical rather than the spiritual. But there's a whole part to you that's unseen. And the only way you can perceive yourself accurately is to perceive the unseen part, which is the new creation man. Mm. And the only way you can know him, the only way you can see him, 
is you have to put on the right lenses. These are the lenses by which I see the unseen realm. And I know there's, you know, we taught, we've been, you know, pastors been teaching for years on the unseen realm of angels and, and demons and all of these different entities. But did you know you're a part of the unseen realm? You're actually, you actually interact on two dimensions at least because you, you interact in the physical and the spiritual. But you may be blinded. You may be totally unaware of one part of you. But it's the real you. It's the real you. And what the Bible reveals is, that's right, Wade, it's the eternal part. It's the real you. It's the part of you that's going to live forever. See, people think eternal life is, oh, that means I'm going to live forever. No, everybody's going to live forever. It's just what's going to be the quality of your existence forever. That's the difference. Eternal life isn't a quantity of life. It's a quality of life. And you already have it. If you're born again, if you're not born again, then you don't, but you can. Because by grace, God's already provided it for you. Jesus said, He who hears my word and believes on him who sent me has eternal life. And he shall not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. What's he talking about? You've passed from spiritual death to spiritual life. But you can only know that by the Word. It's not evident to your senses. Faith makes it evident to your senses. Faith can cause it to manifest in your life, but you have to believe it first. And when you believe it first, you'll begin to proclaim and you'll appropriate by your words, your belief, and then you can see it manifested in the physical realm. It's the same with everything. Mm. Now I remember, uh, you know, when I first received Christ, um, you know, I'd been on drugs for 20 plus years. So when I got saved and the Word told me I was a new creation, I had to take that by faith. (laughs) Because the evidence for my entire life was contrary to that. But the Word of God gave me the lens to be able to see past the natural and see myself in the spiritual So I could then embrace and identify with who I was as a new creation, not in the physical. And I proclaimed ahead of time. I rejoiced ahead of time in the word of truth and what it proclaimed about my life. Before I had ever been out. Listen, because here's the thing. I, I got saved when I was in jail. So, you know, you really don't have access to everything there. So the real test was when I got out. But I was proclaiming ahead of time, I am not an alcoholic. I'm not a drug addict. I'm not a criminal. I am a new creation. I am a son of God. I am forgiven. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And that is what caused me to be able to walk that out in my life. When I got out, listen, it's not that I didn't ever have opportunities. I had the devil send people to offer me stuff. 
I remember I was at work one day and somebody came to see me there. Visited while we were at work. We were working at the auction. And uh, he was going to leave. And so I decided, hey, I'll just go out and walk him you know, to the car. See you later, you know. He gets in his car and he's got a little little hitter there. He goes, hey, you want some of this? I was like, yeah, I don't need that. I don't use that anymore. But that, before that manifestation, I already knew. How did I know? By the word of God. I didn't need the evidence. I've told this many times too. When I got saved, I called my dad. I said, hey, dad, I got saved. He said, boy, I hope so. See, he needed to see faith and works to be able to believe it. Because he'd seen 20 years. But see, God already knew. He bore witness to the truth without any evidence. Faith is the evidence. Listen, if you're, if you're facing a diagnosis here tonight, I don't care what the doctors say. Faith is the evidence of your reality. I'm going to say it again. Faith is the evidence of your reality. Do not say, let me say, I, I just feel the Lord saying this right now. Do not identify with what they say. Do not, do not, do not embrace and identify with that as who you are. Do not, do not. You reject that word in the name of Jesus. That's not who you are. They may see something in the physical, but everything in the physical, everything in the scene was made from the unseen. So everything in the scene can be changed by the unseen. But you got to see it the way God sees it. If you, will, if you will embrace what the Word says in spite of the circumstances, in spite of the evidence, then the Word of God, uh, you can receive as your reality whatever the Word of God declares belongs to you in Christ. Mm. Do not receive that in the name of Jesus. Do not embrace it. Listen, I'm not telling here. Faith does not deny. Faith does not deny uh, what's in the natural realm. But God calls those things which are not as though they were. So do not call it as it is. I remember Charles Capp said, God said that his people could have what they say, but they're saying what they have. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll say it again. <laughs> God cho- told Charles Capps, he said, the problem is my people can have what they say, but they're saying what they have. And let me say this too. It doesn't say, uh, if you don't say, if you don't say what you're praying, you can pray one thing and say another. Mm. You know, that Jesus didn't say you'll have what you pray. He said you have what you say. Here's the thing. When you're in prayer, you're intentional. You're saying, but if you want to know what you really believe, don't listen to yourself when you're paying attention. <laughs> 
listen to what you're saying in life when your guard's down. That'll reveal what you really believe. When pressure comes, what's in you is going to be revealed. You know, I heard uh, Dwayne Sheriff say, listen to what you're saying, not at church, but at Walmart. (laughs) That'll reveal what you really believe. See, here's the thing. Faith is not this surface thing. It's what you believe deep in your heart. It's not the subconscious. It's not the conscious thought. We all know what to say. Come on. Let's, let's get real. If you've been in the church very long, you know what you ought to say. See, it has to get down deeper than conscious thought. Most believers, they know what to say. But it's, has, it got, has it been internalized to the point that you believe it on a subconscious level? Where it's really what you believe? Because, you know, Proverbs says, as a man thinks where? In his heart. Not his head. The problem is we thought that biblical knowledge was intellectual. And it's not. It's experiential. Until it gets deep down in your heart where it becomes a part of what you truly believe on a subconscious level. You can have, uh, you can have uh, pseudo-faith. That means you know what the Word says. Intellectually. But you haven't taken the time to internalize those truths. By meditating... And allowing the Holy Spirit to bear witness to it. Let me help you. What happens is we look at this word. You can read it and see what it says. That isn't faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing. That that word is talking about a continual hearing. So you can see what it says. That doesn't mean you have faith. But what happens is the Word reveals it. And when you meditate on it, then the Holy Spirit then bears witness to it as truth. Only then, when the light comes on, you might say, has faith arrived in the heart. Oh, and then when you speak, come on. Then when you speak, you are releasing something from within the inner man. From within the new creation man that carries the anointing and the power of the kingdom of God to change seen things, to line up with the unseen things. Does that make sense? Only when it registers down here in You receive faith in the heart. Are you able to speak? So that's how you release faith. The spirit of faith is, I believed, therefore I spoke. Mm -hmm. Second Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 4 or 5. I think it's chapter 4. Says that the spirit of faith is, I believe, therefore I speak. That's how we release faith in any situation 
when you've received the revelation, you speak from that, from that being convinced, not hoping. See, hope is future. A lot of times you're speaking hope, not faith. You're hoping it is. Faith is now. Faith knows it exists without evidence. How do I know? See, God told Abraham. God made a promise to Abraham. And Abraham, the Bible says, believed God. It doesn't say he believed in God. He knew God. It says he believed God. Big difference. That means he believed that what God said was true without evidence. God told him he was going to have a son. He was going to have an heir who would be an heir of the world. He would make him the father of many nations. God told him he would be the father of many nations and the whole world would be blessed through him before he ever even had a son. And God believed it. Why? He believed God's word was true without any evidence. And the evidence came way later. So here's the problem. I talked about this last week. Is that receiving from God is through seed time and harvest well the time isn't waiting on God okay but what happens is in the time we start to waver and we think we got to do something in order to hurry up the process hello Ishmael (laughs) hello Ishmael Work of the flesh. We get impatient. See, we receive the promises through faith and patience. It doesn't mean that it isn't real. It's that we are trying to get to faith. Come on. See, we we think God's got to move. God already moved. God already moved. We're the ones who are stuck. Faith doesn't move God. I know that's a good cliche, but faith doesn't move God. Faith moves you. See, we're the ones that need to move. We're the ones who are stuck in unbelief. We're the ones who are stuck in unbelief that need to move from unbelief to faith. Mm, Faith doesn't move God. Faith moves you. God already moved. He moved from heaven to earth. Back to heaven again. (laughs) How much more does he need to move? He already did move. See, that's the problem. We think we're waiting on God. God's waiting on us. The gospel is is not us trying to persuade God about us. It's him trying to persuade us about him. Man. Goodness. Let me skip down here. Well, I didn't get very far, did I? 
<laughs> Look at Galatians 5.13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. See, the liberty we received is the liberty from earning our own justification. We were enslaved to the law. And we were delivered from the law. We were delivered from having to earn or perform in order to be in right relationship with God. We've been called to liberty. Only don't use that liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. See, we can't take our liberty. We've got to realize that, that even though we're a new creation, we still have this flesh to deal with. Listen, the sin nature is gone that we received from Adam. The sin nature is gone. The old man was crucified with Christ, but we he still have the nature of sin in the flesh. Did you catch that? The sin nature is gone. I'm a new person. The old man was crucified with Christ, and I was raised again. But the flesh still has the nature of sin in it. That means it has desires that are opposite of what the Spirit desires. What is the flesh? It's the body and the unrenewed mind. So I like to say it like this. It's the appetites and the attitudes and the emotions that aren't subject to the Spirit of God yet. So we have to take the Word and we have to grow spiritually until we bring the attitudes, appetites, and emotions of the flesh under subjection to the will of God. And that takes a process. But you've got to be in the process. Because spiritual growth doesn't just happen. Over time. You know, a baby's born over time, they're going to grow physically. But maturity is a process. And the maturity that we're trying to grow into is to the nature and character of God, which is love. See, we don't relate to God based on law, but based on love. He says here, in verse 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's basically saying to these people, you want to keep the law? I'll tell you how to keep it. Love. You don't keep the law by trying to keep the law. You keep the law as you grow up in the nature and the character of God and begin to walk in that nature, which is love. And when you do, you keep the law without trying to. See, I don't focus on all the do's and don'ts. I focus on the do's. What I can do in Christ. There's a big difference. You know, Pastor has a great illustration. We used it in Crossside where he talked about the sin ball. Most people are working on their sin ball. They're trying to make it smaller. That's not how you do it, guys. It's not by working on your sin ball. It's by internalizing and identifying with who you are in Christ. You begin to walk in the nature and the character of God. And by default, by default, you begin to start to keep the law without trying to. 
I like what Andrew Womack says. He said, when you get in faith, you will, you will live holier by accident than you ever did on purpose. Why? Because the more you focus on sin, the bigger, the bigger your sin consciousness becomes. And as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If you would get convinced about who you are as a new creation, that you're righteous and truly holy, that you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that you're the healed of the Lord, that you're blessed with it. If you would get identified and embrace those as your reality, you will begin to walk and live that way. Let me drop down here to... um, I got so many scriptures here. <laughs> I want to look at 5:16. Look at this. I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. If you notice here in verse 16, he doesn't say If you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh, you'll walk in the Spirit. It's almost like we have spiritual dyslexia sometimes. We read that and we get it twisted. We think, oh, if I just don't fulfill the lust of the flesh, I'll walk in the Spirit. You can stop sinning and not walk in the Spirit. But if you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. The focus is on walking in the Spirit, not in not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. These two are opposed to one another. It would be like, I can't, so that way is east, that way is west. I can't walk east and go west. They're opposite. You see what I'm saying? If you're trying to not fulfill the lust of the flesh, that doesn't make you automatically walk in the Spirit. But... If you walk in the Spirit, by default, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You see what I'm saying? This is what he prescribes. Not focusing on sin. Not focusing on the flesh. But focusing on the Spirit. Focusing on the spiritual realities of Christ. And identifying with the word of truth. And what it declares about who you are in Him. What you have in Him. Because what's true of Him is true of you. And what belongs to Him now belongs to you. And the devil wants to get you examining and evaluating who you are according to the flesh. And blinding you to who you truly are according to the Spirit. So that you'll live out of what you believe about yourself in what you... See, it won't change. If you're just focused on who you are in the flesh, where is the power in that? Something greater has to overcome that. You have to be awakened to something greater. And that's what God did through Christ is He made you a new person on the inside. A new purpose person on the inside. And when you begin to, by faith, embrace that reality, it will begin to manifest in your life as fruit. Now, he begins to talk about the lust of the flesh, and he lists them all out. And I'm not going to go into that. In fact, he says at the beginning of it, um, let me find it right here. He says the works of the flesh are evident. So they're very apparent. And I don't have to go through them all. 
they're very evident. And this isn't a comprehensive list. These are just a few examples. But there are tons of things that the flesh produces. And this is just a composite of them, but it's not comprehensive. I don't need to go through them all. But in verse 22, here's what we want to focus on. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. What are these? These are the nature and character of God. And that when you walk in the Spirit, these will be the evidence of your relationship with God. Anyone who is walking in intimacy with God in the Holy Spirit through the Word and faith will produce these attributes. Mm. See, spiritual maturity, let me say this about spiritual maturity, is not about the gifts of the Spirit. And I think that in the charismatic church, one of the problems that we've had is that people have been so focused on the gifts of the Spirit, they have neglected the production of the fruit of the Spirit. And you can operate in the gifts of the Spirit and be as carnal as someone who's out in the world. What we need, and Paul tells this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, He says, pursue love and desire the gifts. It's not wrong to desire the gifts, but love, the fruit of the Spirit, is more important than the gifts of the Spirit. (laughs) One reason people get excited about the gifts of the Spirit, uh uh-oh, I've gone to meddling now, (laughs) is they're still immature and they want to be seen by people. Gifts of the Spirit were never meant to be oohed and awed over in the church. They're tools given to reach the lost. In fact, the target audience of gifts of the Spirit is not in the church. It's outside. But we want to use them in here because we're safe. I'm sorry. I love you. (laughs) But the modern church got caught up in the success that's in the world. And we've just taken our lust for being known and applause and accolades and we just transferred it from the world into the church. We want to be famous in the church world. Mm. That's why this is the most important, the fruit of the Spirit. You know, in 1 Corinthians, Paul wasn't teaching on the gifts of the Spirit to introduce them to the gifts of the Spirit. They were already operating in them. In fact, he said, cut it down some. (laughs) He was putting a limit on it. And he said in earlier chapters, you're carnal. You're not even spiritual. Don't look at me like that. (laughs) Because gifts are given. Fruit is produced. When you have a gift, you receive the gift when you're born again. And gifts just function. But the fruit of the Spirit is meant to govern 
the gifts of the Spirit. And you really don't have any. I remember a pastor teaching on the gifts of the Spirit, and he called them God's power tools. And he talked about how you don't play with your dad's power tools until you're old enough to handle them. That's what we're talking about. Until you're mature enough to use them properly, we need to grow up. That should be the most important thing. Spiritual maturity is not, uh, is not evident by gifts. It's evident by fruit. The most important thing is that we grow up into the nature and the character of God. That way when we are operating, we are operating in the gifts of the Spirit. We're doing it with the nature and the character of God. Not to draw attention to ourselves, but for the edification of everyone. Mm. We have to grow up. We have to grow and we have to mature in the nature and the character of God. He says, against such there is no law. There's no law against these things. When you're operating in these, you're above reproach. Men don't make laws against you can't be at peace with other people. Why? These things are a part of the divine order of creation. Man, I don't know. I didn't intend to say any of that. (laughs) We need to grow up. We're going to reach the world. We need to grow up. We got to get things in the right order. We should pursue the nature and the character of God. And how do we do that? Is it by trying to check all the boxes? No. We need to take the time. To know what God has said about us. To see what the Word reveals about us. And allow the Holy Spirit to bear witness to that truth. So that we can identify with it. We can embrace those as our reality. I tell you, we should... I remember one of my first classes in Bible school was the fruit of the Spirit. And I remember when I first started reading these verses, I used to put my name in there. I used to say this is what I... I'm a, I'm a person of love and joy and peace, patience and goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I said that all the time. Why? What are we doing? We're learning to walk in the Spirit, walk in the spiritual realities of Christ. Because all of these things are inside of you as seed. But they have to be cultivated And when we walk in these things, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh anymore. Why? Because love is the fulfillment of the law. Man, it makes it easy. I did. It's hard when you're just striving to try and keep the flesh at bay. But when you, by faith, are embracing uh, who you are as a new creation... It becomes natural to live that way. I don't know if you caught that or not. It begins to become, it's already your nature. But it begins to become natural to you to operate in those things. But in the world we've been trained to be all about. mm, The flesh trained us to be self-centered. Faith teaches us to be Christ-centered. The flesh life is the selfish life. The spirit life is the selfless life. 
if we would focus on operating in these things, we'll by default not fulfill the others. Amen? And there's nothing that God is withholding from you. We just got to get our vision right through the word and realize it's already it's already yours in Christ Jesus. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Let's just stand. Father, we just praise you tonight. We just thank you, Father God, for your word. Hallelujah. Praise you, Father God. I just pray that we would just be conformed to the image of Jesus. Transformed, Father God. That who we truly are be unveiled in our life, Father God. That the spiritual DNA that we have of God, your spiritual DNA in us would become dominant in our life, Father God. And that we would manifest your nature your character, and also your power, Father God. Oh, we thank you, Father God, that your word is truth. And we deny circumstantial evidence and realize that spiritual evidence trumps physical evidence, Father God. We identify with what your word reveals over what we see in the natural realm. And we thank you for it, Father God. We thank you for your grace, that by your grace you've provided the forgiveness of sins, justification, righteousness, sanctification. You've set us apart unto yourself, Father God, that you've made us free from the penalty of sin and you've made us free from the power of sin and death. Every sickness, every disease, every disorder, Every addiction has been, we've been delivered from those, Father God, by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we believe, Father God, that we are already a new creation. That we've already been recreated in righteousness and true holiness. And this is who we are, Father God. And we thank You, Lord, that we are being conformed more and more into the image of Your Son by the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us and that we as a church become one manifestation of the Son of God that we grow up to mature manhood even unto the fullness of Jesus Christ where you're able to manifest your glory and your presence Father God unhindered in the name of Jesus that this place be a touchstone of heaven on earth That when people come, they experience the kingdom of heaven without going there. We thank you for it, Father God. We thank you. We praise you, Lord. If there's anybody here tonight that you have never made Jesus the Lord of your life, if you you haven't grasped it already, it's already been done for you. The only thing left for you to do is respond to that truth. And how do we respond? We say, Jesus is Lord. The Bible says if we believe in our heart, God raised Him from the dead, and we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, we shall be saved. If there's anybody here tonight just looking over the crowd, 
Do not leave. We're going to have ministers up here. Would love to lead you uh, in passing from death to life and becoming a part of the family of God. And then if you've never received the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, that is a second work of grace that's available to you. It's grace. You don't qualify for it. You can receive that at the very moment that you receive Jesus as Lord. But if you are already born again, you've never done that, we want to invite you to come up for that as well. If you're, uh, if you're facing any kind of sickness or a, di- a disease or addiction or anything like that, those things have already been uh, overcome through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And God said, He said, if any two of you on earth agree as touching anything, it shall be done. So I just want to invite you to come and find a minister up here and come into agreement with them because God's Word is true. If any two of you agree, it shall be done. It doesn't say it might be. It could be. It says it shall be done. So don't leave without receiving. Don't leave without coming and partaking, releasing your faith. We need to act on faith. When we hear, we've got we've to act. It's not to get God to do. It's to move us, right? Just like the lame man. He had faith to be healed. Paul gave him an instruction. Stand up. Stand up. Mm. Act on it. You can go, oh, that was, that was good. And walk out of here. Act. You have to release your faith through words or a corresponding action of some sort. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. I'm going to dismiss you, but don't leave. If you have some sort of need, come up. We got ministers here ready to serve you in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.